0: Coming towards the end of the Vasa, we have more free time to develop our own practice. And it's worth remembering that these are good conditions for the practice. Very little other activities to interrupt if we want to spend a lot of time sitting, walking meditation, contemplating the Dhamma. So not to let the opportunity slip by. As they always say, when it comes to doing good, keeping the Vinaya, meditating, learning the Dhamma, We always have excuses not to do it. When it comes to giving into the hindrances, being lazy, distracted, caught up in sensuality, ill will. Yeah. We don't need an excuse, we just do that. It's our habit, it's what's easy. So we have to learn how to keep up that consistent effort in the practice, keep reminding ourselves why we became bhikkhus, why we are here, what's the purpose of it, and to appreciate the continuous nature of the practice. It's one of the first teachings of Luang char I found very helpful was the one where he said, it's one thing to practice mindfulness and develop samadhi. It's another thing to maintain and preserve that state of samadhi. Most of us, we begin our life as lay meditators, uh, or we might say our Buddhist practice as lay meditators. And we often have that habit that we do period of sitting, period of walking, then after that we let our mind go. We've tussled with it and struggled with it for a period of time and even sometimes attained quite a state of calm or had some understanding arise. But then when the formal sitting or walking is finished we tend to let things drift the monastic training is all about developing a continuous practice whether we want to do it or not, whether we are energetic or not, and whatever the situation and conditions are not to give up or quit, so we're not put off say by changing weather conditions, not put off by the people, the place the activities going on around us. If we're really intent on progressing in the Dhamma, then we're learning to develop our practice on a daily basis and taking the conditions as part of the practice. Learning to reflect on things rather than our old habit of trying to manipulate and control things all the time. We're bringing our mind to see the Dhamma as it is, that we can't control everything in this world. So you see with the weather, you really can't control it. You just have to learn from the situation you're in. It's cold, it's hot, it's windy, it's still. These are just the conditions around us and they can teach us. We can see our own reactions Same with people, same with the events around us. All of this is food for Dhamma, for learning through our experience. It's one way where you'll see the delusion of self arising. The root cause of all our suffering is ignorance, conditioning craving, conditioning attachment, clinging, conditioning becoming in this sense of self. And you'll see it just in the eight worldly winds that affect us on a daily basis, in the comments of other people, praise, blame. Some people like us and tell us good things. Others tease us, criticize us, annoy us. Gain and loss, you know, sometimes we get the requisites, or the food that we want sometimes we we don't <coughs> status loss of status you know, one minute you're sitting or being with somebody who's maybe a junior to you in the sangha or a lay person who looks up to you with respect the next moment, moment you're the one who's junior and you're with a senior monk as we live our life as bhikkhus, these pairs of worldly winds are constantly changing and swirling around us and they give us a chance to reflect and see our own ego, sense of self, sense of clinging come up in very ordinary situations. Pleasure and pain, in our daily sense contact, sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, and mental activity, bringing us some pleasure and then some pain and discomfort. This is where we contemplate this process where suffering arises. When we lack mindfulness and we lack wisdom, then we cling, we grasp our reactions to pleasure, to pain, to praise and blame, gain and loss. That's where the sense of self is reinforced. If we're not mindful, we reinforce a sense of self, getting caught into delighting in, or averse to, our different experiences. And that's reinforcing the whole process. Avicca, Dhanha, upadana, Bhava. It reinforces it, and that's how we get more stuck into the world. But as bhikkhus now, we've taken that step, we've made a commitment to leave the lay life behind, give up our former habits, our wealth, our social activities, and now we take on the lifestyle of an alms mendicant. So we're always coming back to the basics, why are we here? We're here to develop our minds, to realize Dhamma, to develop virtue, virtuous behavior, kindness and compassion, harmlessness, develop mindfulness and clear comprehension and develop wisdom. Those are our real, the real source of our inner contentment, happiness, peace. The externals of the world we're leaving behind, because we've already had enough insight to realize they can't bring us lasting happiness or contentment. You can manage the world and manipulate it as best you can, but in the end it's an impermanent, unsatisfactory thing that's beyond yourself, beyond control. The Buddha's wisdom he gave us is to turn around and find inner happiness, you notice, the more you look at the world around you, the more we tend to dwell in negativity. And we complain, criticize, find fault with other people, the external conditions, governments, news. You know, we tend towards negativity the more we go out to the world. So we are actually creating more suffering by doing that, and the causes for more suffering. The wise bhikkhu turns attention inwards to look more at the cause, the root cause of suffering, which is this clinging on to the sense of self, clinging on to desires, clinging on to attachments. This is where we can find real inner peace by understanding this process and interrupting the whole passageway of the way greed, anger and delusion create suffering in the mind interrupt it with mindfulness and wisdom so particularly at this time when we're having a retreat period and we have a lot of free time we have to really learn how to sustain our effort bring up effort sustain it maintain it and the Buddha even talked about that you have to it's a skill we talk about the right efforts in the noble path in the effort to abandon unwholesome dhammas that have arisen, the effort to prevent them from arising, and the effort to bring up wholesome dhammas and the effort to develop them. But there's also a refinement of that, understanding the initial effort to say um, abandon unwholesome dhammas. It's an initial effort, a sustained effort, and then the effort that brings it to completion. What effort is required to remove an unwholesome, unskillful mental state from your mind? It's not just recognizing it or knowing it, it's also doing something about it and successfully completing the mental action of abandoning, knowing that it's a cause of mental pain, suffering, clinging or attachment, whatever, knowing that and then acting accordingly, establishing enough mindfulness and clear comprehension to then to turn and abandon it. Literally pull the mind back from clutching on to that unwholesome mental state. we use all the other tools to support that the practice of patience equanimity mindfulness and also through developing the more wholesome states in preparation so you have a foundation of the practice of metta karuna mudita upeka in your daily life you know, before your encountering a situation that makes you angry, you're already developing loving-kindness, compassion for your fellow beings. Before you, develop, uh, before you encounter a situation that's gonna lead you, bring up a sense of disappointment, in one way or another, you're already developing equanimity to ex- accept, understand that everything arises according to causes and conditions. Those situations which bring disappointment, grief, well, there's causes for that. And much of the time there's nothing we can do, but we can be equanimous. Also to find joy in the happiness of others around us when they have happiness and success, to really witness that observe that even if our own personal practice we feel is not going well. We can have mudita for the bhikkhus we meet or hear about, lay people we meet, hear about, who are doing good things. If you practice the four brahma-viharas regularly, these are providing that foundation that will support your practice through the different conditions that you have to meet with. You're living with other people, living in nature with the uncertainties. You're developing skillful states of mind. And this can help your right effort come to fruition, come to completion, actually help you abandon negative mind states. And then knowingly abandon them, see a moment of anger. So you have an angry reaction because somebody says or does something or they don't do something they should have done. The angry reaction comes up. But do you have enough of the four Brahma-viharas there and patience and mindfulness just to witness the negative mind state? No, it's just an impermanent temporary mind state. It arises, it ceases, and allow the mind to return to calm, equanimity. You know, the Buddha praised Venerable Sariputta for this, in his great wisdom, he was also one who was supremely equanimous, so it's like, compared to the, the earth, you, know, you can bury the richest treasures in the earth and the earth is still unmoved, or you can just bury excrement in the earth, the earth remains unmoved. This is a true samana. They maintain the mindfulness, the wisdom, the equanimity, and the wholesome states of mind, whatever the stimulus, pleasant or unpleasant. They don't just give in to their emotional reactions all the time. This is spiritual maturity that the Buddha praised in people like Sariputta. It's what we aspire to, or his own teacher, Venerable Asaji, you know. What inspires somebody who is praised as a great spiritual teacher, Sariputta, what inspired Sariputta to become a monk, or another great bhikkhu, Asaji, walking through the village calmly unswayed by the activities of the lay community around him just mindfully doing his job sometimes people ask us as bhikkhus what's our job well one is to receive alms mindfully with clear comprehension and reflecting on the purpose of our life and what we're doing so Venerable Asaji walking at the right pace through the village not too fast not too slow not scattered, just mindfully doing his practice, receiving alms. And when Upatisel, Venerable Sariputta, seeing that, knew through his own good karma and his accumulated bharami, he sensed immediately, oh, this is someone who's practiced. Just watching them walk and do their job was enough to know this is someone who's practiced, he must have attained some kind of dhamma. So our practice is always coming back to the present moment and using the lifestyle, the Vinaya, the training, as our foundation for, the, for developing mindfulness, right effort, developing Samadhi and developing insight in our daily life. And you see, the more effort you put in, then the more opportunity for wisdom and understanding to arise. It's not always about getting the right conditions, waiting for the right condition. We have to take the initiative. The right condition is really when we turn our mind to the Dhamma, whether we're feeling down or we're feeling up, we're inspired or uninspired, tired or energetic. Things seem to be going well or not people like us or they don't. We make everything as part of our practice. And that way we're creating the right opportunities for, for Dhamma to arise. And Dhamma means you bringing the mind to see the truth in the present moment. So to see the nature of your own body or mind is an dukkha, Anatta. Actually witness that, observe and see that rather than just believing it as a theory you've read in a book, but knowing it, knowing feelings arising and passing, understanding whatever I feel, it's impermanent. What's impermanent is dukkha, it's degenerating, it's unstable. What's impermanent, what's dukkha is anatta, it's not self. It's not, not to be clung to as a self those reactions and emotions we have, all the mixture of feelings and perceptions and sankara, being conscious of that, all the five kandhas appearing in that moment, if we just steady ourselves, we can notice "Mm, this is all anicca, dukkha, anatta. Even the strongest lust, the strongest anger, the strongest worry, the strongest doubt, in the end it comes down to these truths, it rises, is present, and it passes away again. <clears throat> As we practice more, then the mind inclines naturally to that which is supportive of the practice, that behavior which supports the practice. The peace of the forest or the peace of the monastery, we appreciate it more as a supportive condition for the practice. That, those ways of thinking, you know, the way we use our mind, we start to appreciate more what in, what's supportive for the arising of states of calm and insight. So, quite naturally, the mind inclines more towards them. And if you meditate regularly, even though it can be hard work and challenging, over a long period of time, you can see your mind might quite naturally inc- incline towards being more mindful, appreciating the space between different thoughts and emotional reactions. The mind might incline towards more peaceful objects and just being willing to stay with the breath sometimes. If there's nothing else to think about or do, well, you can stay with the breath. It becomes much more natural for that. It becomes natural for us to incline towards compassion. You notice when the sense of personal suffering subsides as you practice, then you become more aware of other people's suffering. And you get more joy and more happiness helping others because you're less caught up, concerned with your own suffering. So the mind naturally inclines towards the Brahma Viharas. You also become aware of the suffering in the world and you realize there's a lot that you can't do much about. Even people very close to you sometimes, you realize there's nothing you can do about it other than maybe support them in small ways. but there's a lot of suffering we can't do much about so the mind inclines towards equanimity rather than endlessly worrying or getting upset about the way things are. It's like as you practice more then you you notice things. Like when we begin practicing often you're learning the Vinaya you're becoming more aware of your own stream of consciousness, your own mental states. Often you notice the anything that's wrong, you, when you break a rule, when you have a negative mind state, some greed, anger, some jealousy, some worry, you'll notice the things that are, you seem to see as wrong or as false. But as you practice more, you also become more aware of the good things. You know, the spaces between mental states of suffering, The times when you're keeping the Vinaya which is actually you know much of the day you're keeping the Vinaya very well much of your life even if you occasionally make mistakes you'll see that the majority of the time you're not breaking the Vinaya the majority of the time the mind is not filled with unwholesome desires and attachments there's lots of times when the mind is quite wholesome quite peaceful and you become much more aware of these times over, to, as you practice more, as that happens, then the mind again it naturally inclines to what it recognizes and learns as good as wholesome. What modern science is helping us to understand is that you know our, the physical side of our body, the brain, is constantly changing and learning, and what we're doing is affecting our physical makeup as well as our mental makeup. So it's not through delusion but it's just a natural awakening of the mind that you become much more aware of what is a wholesome Dhamma, what is an unwholesome Dhamma, what is an unwholesome speech, unwholesome action, what is wholesome speech, wholesome action. You become much more aware of this and then the mind naturally inclines towards that which will bring bring you more contentment more happiness and that extends out to the people around you so then you're quite happy to encourage that in others and the Buddha said this is the greatest gift we can give to the people of the world around us is by encouraging them to practice Dhamma encouraging them in wholesome ways ways of generosity kindness virtuous behavior Mindful behavior and developing insight and wisdom. The more we practice, the more we're supporting others around us. A lot of our mental effort is something very internal. You know, other people will often never really know quite what we're doing. You know, if you have a you're in a situation where you have anger arise, but you make a decision not to follow that anger, not to speak, not to do something in anger, simply to be mindful of it and allow it to pass. You're actually doing a great favor for the world and you're doing a great favor for yourself. You're allowing your, your mind to recognize the impermanence, say, of an angry state. See, yeah, it's something that's in each dukkha, anatta, let it go that might be taking place, no one else knows about it, and you might never tell anyone about it. It's just a private part of your practice, and yet it has a great effect on the people around you and the world around you. Over time you might appreciate that, at the time you might not see it, but over time you might see the consequences of your practice. We're you know, we're learning to practice in a way that we're not seeking rewards or seeking praise. We we're going beyond that. Anyone who becomes a bhikkhu is has to be prepared, you know, not to we're not no longer practicing just to make a name for ourselves or become popular. We're doing it because it's the right way that we can train ourselves. It's good for ourselves, good for others but people might never really know what we've done. They don't know our own personal battles of with greed or lust or anger. They might one day see the outward results and be inspired, but what battles and struggles we've gone through, people will never really know about. Even if you tell them in a talk or explain to them, they're still not gonna really know because it's so personal. So that's another way we change our attitude to the practice. You're no longer seeking external um, acknowledgement of what you're doing. You're not doing it to impress anyone, to make anyone else feel good. They should feel good as, as you practice, but you're not seeking that. Simply doing it because as, as, it's the Dhamma. It's in line with the Dhamma. We're letting go of the causes of suffering and we're developing the path that will lead to the end of suffering. In the end the practice speaks for itself and that's why the Buddha's excellent teachings are still with us today. because They still speak to our human condition. They still teach the world Um, Because human beings haven't changed, even though the world around us is always changing. The nature of humanity and any other beings in this universe hasn't changed. And they're still subject to old age, sickness and death. They're still subject to the effect of avijja, dana, upadana. The more we can understand this and free ourselves from that cycle of suffering, the more good we do for ourselves and others. So I'll leave you with these words tonight and we can carry on practicing together.